Blessed be God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Almighty and everlasting God, you are always more ready to hear than we to pray, and to give more than we either desire or deserve. Pour upon us the abundance of your mercy, forgiving us those things of which our conscience is afraid, and giving us those good things for which we are not worthy to ask except through the merits and mediation of Jesus Christ our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen. A reading from Isaiah. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his pleasant planting. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed, righteousness, but heard a cry. The word of the Lord. We will read Psalm 80 responsively. Restore us, O God of hosts, show the light of your countenance, and we shall be saved. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared the ground for it. It took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered by its shadow, and the towering cedar trees by its boughs. You stretched out its tendrils to the sea, and its branches to the river. Why have you broken down its wall? so that all who pass by pluck off its grapes. The wild boar of the forest has ravaged it, and the beast of the field have grazed upon it. Turn now, O God of hosts, look down from heaven, behold and tend this vine, preserve what your right hand has planted. A reading from Philippians. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the house of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, 
and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. The word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it's amazing in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone who falls on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus repeats a quotation from Hosea 6, 6. Hosea says in chapter 6, verses 4 through 6, What shall I do with you, O Ephraim? What shall I do with you, O Judah? Your love is like a morning cloud, like the dew that goes away early. Therefore, I have hewn them by the prophets. I have killed them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as a light. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. And in Matthew 9, Jesus is eating with the tax collectors and sinners just after calling Matthew to join his followers. The religious leaders are questioning Jesus's company and Jesus responds to them with this quotation from Hosea 6 in the form of an exhortation. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have come, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. 
And then when he is passing through the grain fields with his disciples on the Sabbath in chapter 12 of Matthew, picking the heads of grain and eating them as they walk, he is again questioned by the authorities who criticize his disciples for their unlawful behavior on the Sabbath. Jesus responds with examples of both David and temple priests breaking the Sabbath in their stories, and he once again made use of this passage from Hosea 6. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. This may seem an odd way to approach our parable this morning, but I'm convinced that it lies at the heart of its meaning. We might want to say that these murderous tenants are the ones who would do well to learn something from Hosea, and that would be correct. Their violence in the parable is inexcusable. And it points to a tendency in each of us toward both violent means and even more violent ends. But I quoted Hosea beyond what Jesus uses in order to see more clearly what is happening, specifically to see that God is the one enacting mercy or steadfast love in that translation, despite the violence God had witnessed in Israel. God has seen their injustice and bloodlust. Yet God has broken their violence, not with a chariot or sword or spear, but rather with prophets and the word of God in judgment against the violence they have loved. Their sacrifice in worship is not mirrored by their love for God. Rather, their sacrifice in worship is mirrored by the blood they have spilled among the poor and outcast in their own cities. They become the social sacrifice for the sake of an ordered society. For the few. Gilead is a city of evildoers, tracked with blood as robbers lie in wait for someone, so the priests are banded together. They murder on the road to Shechem, they commit a monstrous crime. In the house of Israel, I have seen a horrible thing. Ephraim's prostitution is there, Israel is defiled. This is a damning picture of God's people, viewed through the eyes of God, who is judging not their failure to believe correctly or worship with the right words and gestures, but rather their failure to see the incredible dissonance between their worship and their tendency toward horrific violence. We might be tempted to read this parable as one where Israel is violent, killing the Son of God, and therefore God gives the vineyard over to another group of tenants, the church. Uh, this would be a terrible mistake on our part to read it this way. The vineyard, after all, is Israel, as we see in Isaiah, and the defilement of Israel through the violence like that enumerated in Hosea is itself a violence against Israel by the people with power and means to wield it. Religious and political power afford the religious and political elite incredible immunity in their use of violent force. And there has yet to be an end to this in our own time, as is evident even today. The people become the sacrifice, the very people for whom God desires mercy. Rather than look at this parable as an allegory for Israel and the church, we ought to look at the response Jesus gives following the parable. Rather than explain, Jesus asks a question of those listening to him. Now, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? I much prefer Matthew's version to Luke and Mark for this reason, and I think Matthew's telling of this parable fits better with the overall gospel narrative, since the answer is neither given nor confirmed by Jesus, but rather it is placed in the mouths of those who were listening to the parable, likely the chief priests and Pharisees. 
They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. The literary beauty of this account in Matthew is that we have to decide whether this response is from a trustworthy respondent. Do we trust these people to give the correct answer to the parable? I, for one, do not. It seems to me that they have given an answer from within the retributive cycle of vengeance and violence, holding their imaginations captive. Even if it is the crowds responding and not the scribes and the Pharisees, even if, it's the, even if the they who say this, if it's the crowds instead of the Pharisees and scribes, the crowd is still then parroting the expectations they have developed within the system of power and violence they inhabit. Death in the vineyard is their tragic way of life. Retribution and violence is their law and order. So, they imagine God to be retributive, to be one who will execute judgment in the form of violent execution, a miserable death. But is this how God deals with our violence? Indeed, our violence even against God's own Son. What does God desire if not sacrifice? There is so much unmet expectation in the Gospels, but especially in the Gospel of Matthew. We hear the expectations of those gathered to hear the parable of the vineyard, expectations of violent vengeance. Yet Jesus responds with this statement about the cornerstone becoming a stumbling block, an impediment on the road most traveled. He is the unexpected impediment to the path of violence the one who stops the violent in their tracks by causing them to stumble over the peace that they cannot understand. He is the one who puts Peter's sword away, disarming every follower in his wake of their retributive impulses. He stops Paul on the road to Damascus, blinding him with a light he does not understand in his thirst for violence and eyes set on pure persecution. Jesus is the one who from the very sight of his violent execution on the cross issues the words of forgiveness these tenants never could have expected. The power of violence has been ended in Jesus Christ, revealed to be a tool of our wholesale destruction and one that sacrifices our flourishing on the altar of power. God is revealed to be merciful, and in God's mercy there is infinite universal justice. God's desire for mercy is evident not in commandments, but in God's own active mercy at all times. But it's so hard to see when we respond to mercy with violence, vengeance, retribution, and retaliation in the name of justice. But we come here to see what we cannot otherwise see on the pathway of violence in this world. It is here that we begin to realize the desire of God. It is here at this table that we are able to see through the healing scales over our eyes, the kingdom God is bringing into view in this world, a kingdom beautifully sung in the third song of Isaiah. Over you the Lord will rise, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will stream to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawning. Your gates will always be open, by day or night they will never be shut. They will call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Violence will no more be heard in your land. Violence will no more be heard in your land. Violence will no more be heard in your land. Ruin or destruction within your borders. 
They will call your walls salvation and all your portals praise. We come here to see that God's response to the death of the Son is not violent vengeance and miserable death. Rather, God responds with the death of death itself, the resurrection of the Son, and the invitation to meet the Son around the table where we share the fruit of the vineyard together. It is the mercy we do not respect. It is the mercy we do not expect. It is the mercy we do not deserve. But God desires mercy, not sacrifice. And so God gives it here, again and again. Amen. Let us stand with Christians throughout the world and throughout history to recite our statement of faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate from the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, she is worshipped and glorified, she is spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Prayers of the People are Form 6 on page 6 of your bulletin. Let us pray for the Church and for the world. In peace we pray to you, Lord God. For all people in their daily life and work. For our families, friends, and neighbors, and for those who are alone. Remembering especially Joseph, our President, the Congress of these United States, Bill, our Governor, our Courts of Justice, and Pat and Richard, our mayors, we pray for this community, the nation, and the world. For all who work for justice, freedom, and peace. For the just and proper use of your creation. For the victims of hunger, fear, injustice, and oppression. For all who are in danger, sorrow, or any kind of trouble. For those who minister to the sick, the friendless, and the needy. For the peace and unity of the Church of God. For all who proclaim the gospel and all who seek the truth. For Justin, the Archbishop of Canterbury, Michael, our presiding bishop, Brian, our bishop, Johnny, our rector, Chris and Gordon, our deacons, in our diocese, St. Mark's Copper Hill, in our companion diocese of South Dakota, Christ, Milbank, St. Mary Webster, and for all bishops and other ministers. For all who serve God in his church. 
for the special needs and concerns of this congregation, especially Sister and Gordon, Becky, Carolyn, Stephanie and family, Ed, Bill, Eli, Nancy, Jesse, Cal, Larry, Louisa, Martha, Catherine, Randy, Lisa, Mariana, Martha, Mike, Alice and DeWitt, Doreen, Lou, Beth, Myra, Rick, Margaret, Hal, John, Rick, Jay, John, Kim, Mark, Pat, Deanna, Jackson, Jonathan, Michael, Aaron, Jonathan, Regina, Patricia, Van, Sarah Beth, Linda, Jason, Michael, Jay and Misty, Daryl, Mike, Gary, Charlie and Phyllis, Kim, Diane, Larry, Bunky, Matt, Richard, Susan, Harold, Joe, Caitlin, Trish, Paul, Daryl, Don. Hear us, Lord. For your mercy is great. We thank you, Lord, for all the blessings of this life. We will exalt you, O God, our King. And praise your name forever and ever. We pray for all who have died, that they may have a place in your eternal kingdom. Lord, let your loving kindness be upon them. Who put their trust in you. We pray to you also for the forgiveness of our sins. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. In your compassion, forgive us our sins, known and unknown, things done and left undone. And so uphold us by your Spirit, that we may live and serve you in newness of life, to the honor and glory of your name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on you, forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen you in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen. Friends, the peace of the Lord be always with you. And now as our Savior Christ has taught us, we are bold to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal God, Heavenly Father, you have graciously accepted us as living members of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you have fed us with spiritual food in the sacrament of his body and blood. Send us now into the world in peace and grant us strength and courage to love and serve you with gladness and singleness of heart. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. May God the Holy Trinity make you strong in faith and love, defend you on every side, and guide you in truth and peace. And the blessing of God Almighty the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.